Section 70 of Mysteries of London, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mysteries of London, Volume 4 by George W. M. Reynolds. History of the Haunted Houses in Stamford Street. Twenty-five years ago there were not three nicer-looking houses in Stamford Street than those which are now so dilapidated and so wretched in appearance, both outside and internally. The corner dwelling was inhabited by an old gentleman and his son. Their name was Mitchell, and a handsomer youth than Leonard, who at that period had just completed his twentieth year, was seldom to be met with. But it was not only on account of his prepossessing person, elegant manners and great talents that he was a general favorite it was likewise in consequence of his admirable behavior towards his father mr mitchell was for many years a partner in an eminent mercantile firm but the sudden death of a beloved wife who had long been suffering with a disease of the heart and who one evening fell a corpse at her husband's feet after having appeared gay and cheerful a few minutes previously produced such an effect upon him that he was thrown on a sick-bed whence he arose at the expiration of several months palsied in all his limbs although he still retained possession of his intellect yet his spirit appeared to be completely broken and his energies were crushed an arrangement was accordingly effected by virtue of which he withdrew from the firm on condition of receiving four hundred pounds a year for the remainder of his life these incidents occurred during leonard's seventeenth year and the affectionate youth immediately devoted himself to the duty of rendering his afflicted sire's existence as pleasing or rather as little burthensome as possible his attentions were unremitting and yet so delicately administered that the old man was not suffered to feel how completely dependent he was for solace and comfort on his only child when the weather was fine, Leonard invariably had some excuse to induce his father to go out for a walk, and as he supported the arm of that tottering, feeble, trembling parent, he conversed in a gay and unrestrained manner, conjuring up those topics which he knew to be agreeable to the invalid, and never, never exhibiting the least impatience at being thus chained as it were to the side of the sufferer of an evening the young man would read aloud those works which best suited his father's taste or he would sit for hours playing at chess a game of which mr mitchell was particularly fond when invited to a party leonard would at first promise to attend so that his father might not perceive that he remained away entirely on his account but the youth was always sure to have a convenient headache or to sprain his ankle or adopt some other ingenious and equally venial little device in order to have an apology for staying at home now and then his father would see through his motive and insist upon him keeping his engagement in which case leonard was always sure to leave long before the breaking up of the party and on his return home he would creep noiselessly to his father's chamber to assure himself ere he proceeded to his own that the old man was comfortable and wanted for nothing in a word the devotion of this youth to his afflicted sire was such that all who knew him beheld him with mingled admiration and respect and even the giddiest and most thoughtless young men of his acquaintance could not bring themselves to joke or jeer him for that conduct which in any other 
they would have looked upon as a steadiness and sedateness carried to an extreme next door to the mitchells that is to say in the central of the three houses to which this narrative relates dwelt mr pomfret who by the succession of the paralyzed old gentleman had become the head of the firm the business premises of which were in the city mr pomfret was likewise a widower and likewise possessed an only child ellen pomfret was a year younger than leonard and she was as beautiful as he was handsome they had been acquainted from childhood and the affection which in its origin was such as exists between a brother and a sister by natural degrees ripened into a devoted and profoundly rooted love in the estimation of all who know them there was a remarkable fitness in the union of this admirable pair their style of beauty their dispositions their manners their acquirements were of a nature to adopt them for each other they were both tall slight and gracefully formed ellen's hair was of a rich brown scarcely a shade deeper than that of leonard their foreheads were high and intellectual their eyes were of deep blue hers more melting and tender than his which were animated with the fire of a noble and generous spirit and never did man nor woman possess finer teeth than theirs both were fond of music and drawing both were imbued with deep religious feelings sincere and even enthusiastic but utterly devoid of bigotry and uncharitableness and both loved virtue for its own sake faith with them was a delight and an inspiration encouraging fond hopes in respect to this world and confidence in the next a religion that knew not of ascetic gloom but that seemed to trace life's pathway amidst love and perfume and flowers mrs pomfret had died when ellen was about fourteen and for the two following years the maiden was blessed with the companionship and counsels of a kind aunt who immediately after the decease of her sister took up her abode in the house but death snatched her away to the tomb shortly after the sixteenth birthday of her niece who was thus left alone as it were with her father mr pomfret though a kind and well-meaning man originally was not a prudent one he had an overweening confidence in his commercial abilities and financial foresight and he was thus led into speculations from which his friends had he condescended to consult them would have dissuaded him many of those speculations he undertook on his own private account and independently of the firm of which as above described he became the head and his numerous affairs accordingly kept him much away from home ellen was therefore a great deal alone for maidenly prudence prevented her from calling in next door as often as she could have desired or as leonard would have wished to see her still she did now and then pass an hour or two with mr mitchell and his son relieving the latter in his task of reading or his post at the chess-table the old gentleman was deeply attached to ellen pomfret and the more so inasmuch as it appeared to be a settled thing that the two families were to be closely united by means of the marriage of the young people but no day was fixed for this event nor indeed did the engagement appear to be more than a tacit one for the reader must remember that at the time when we introduced the hero and the heroine of this narrative the former was only twenty years of age and the latter nineteen the third house to which our present history especially refers was inhabited by an old bachelor who at the time alluded to was upwards of sixty 
he was a fine man for his age boasted that he had not yet taken the spectacles and walked as upright and as rapidly as if he were twenty years younger his rubicond countenance was the very picture of good nature and a very good-natured being he in reality was but he was whimsical and eccentric to a degree and though very rich and proud of his elegantly furnished abode he seldom invited a grown-up person to cross his threshold much less to partake of his hospitality but on the other hand he was devotedly attached to children and his greatest delight was to assemble a dozen or so of his neighbors little sons and daughters in his comfortable parlor or handsome drawing-room and make them all as happy as he could this was certainly a strange and most unusual predilection for an old bachelor to entertain but there are exceptions to all rules and mr gamble was a living proof of the dogma he was wont to say that it did his heart good to behold rosy-cheeked flaxen-haired laughing-eyed children romping about him that it awakened blessed feelings in his soul to hear the merry shouts and witness their innocent mirth and that he fancied himself young again when presiding at the table which he had gathered them and when he dispensed fruit cake sweet wine and comfortures with no niggard hand be it understood then that at least to our mind mr gamble was a most estimable character for he who is fond of children cannot possibly be a bad man whereas we have no confidence whatever in the individual who does not experience a lively interest in those endearing artless little beings mr gamble did not consider it to be at all derogatory to his nature or his age to join in the infantile sports which he loved so much to behold and when the curtains were drawn and the door closed he would even consent to become an active party to a game of blind man's bluff or allow himself to be converted for the nonce into a horse for the express behoof of some chubby urchin more bold in his requisitions than the rest mr gamble was indeed quite a character he used frequently to declare that he knew nothing more silly than to give dinner parties friendship is a very queer thing he would say if it must be shown by my eating at another's expense or by him coming to me to eat at mine i would sooner spend ten pounds upon cakes and oranges for children who really enjoy them than ten shillings on a repast for a grown-up person who eats in your presence as if under the influence of a chilling ceremony relative to adults therefore mr gamble neither gave nor accepted invitations but twice or thrice a week he congregated his little friends around him and the more they romped the better he was pleased the more noise they made the higher did his spirits rise if they injured his furniture he cared not provided it was the result of an accident but if he once discovered a predilection to wilful destructiveness or if he were made the butt of coarse rudeness instead of the object of innocent merriment he never again invited the offender to his abode considering that the habits of mr gamble were such as we have taken some little trouble to describe them it may easily be supposed that the neighbors were not a little astonished when it was rumored and ascertained to be a positive fact that mr pomfret had veritably and actually been invited to dine with that eccentric gentleman this was alone enough to create an impression that a revolution had taken place in the opinions of the old bachelor but the wonderment was excessive when it was reported and likewise discovered to be true 
that mr gamble had dined in his turn with mr pomfret at first it was supposed that the cunning merchant was seeking to ensnare the wealthy bachelor into a marriage with the beautiful ellen but when it was remembered that she was engaged to leonard and moreover when it was ascertained that she had passed the evening at the mitchells on the occasion of the old bachelor dining with her father the above-mentioned speculation was instantly discarded that a revolution had taken place in the habits of mr gamble was however very certain for as time wore on after those first interchanges of civilities between him and mr pomfret their intimacy appeared to increase and the parties given by the old bachelor to his juvenile friends grew less frequent at length not a day passed without an interview occurring between gamble and pomfret they were often closeted together for hours in the evening when the latter returned home from the city and the merchant was moreover frequently seen taking bundles of papers and correspondence into the other's house it was therefore surmised that they were engaged together in some speculation but if this were the case it was kept very quiet for even ellen herself could give her lover leonard no explanation relative to the causes of the intimacy that had sprung up so suddenly between her father and mr gamble a conversation which we are about to record will however throw some light upon the subject it was about six months after the intimacy had commenced that mr pomfret returned home from the city at a later hour than usual and with a countenance so pale and careworn that he appeared to his affrighted daughter ten years older than when he quitted her in the morning ellen anxiously implored him to inform her if anything unpleasant had occurred but he gave her a sharp reply in the negative as much as to enjoin her to abstain from questioning him in future the poor girl turned aside to conceal the tears that gushed from her eyes and mr pomfret struck by the sudden conviction that he had behaved most harshly to his amiable daughter exclaimed forgive me ellen but to tell you the truth i have received disagreeable intelligence in the city to-day and it probably soured my temper for the moment you are a good girl he added kissing the tearful countenance that was now upturned towards his own and i was wrong to speak unkindly to you but let that pass i shall have more command over myself another time pray do not dwell upon the subject my dearest father said ellen will you have dinner served up at once no my love was the answer i do not feel in any humor for eating i meant to say he added hastily but with some degree of confusion i dined in the city to-day and now i shall just run in and see mr gamble for an hour or two and you can go and play a game of chess with mr mitchell i shall return to supper presently so mind and be home again by half-past nine you told me the day before yesterday dear papa said ellen that the next time i called on mr mitchell i was to be sure and ask you for a check for the quarter's income due to him and which has been standing over for nearly a fortnight oh it does not matter this evening ejaculated mr pomfret impatiently besides i have not time to sit down and fill up a check at present he added a sickly expression passing over his countenance as if his heart were smitten painfully within his breast then without making another observation and in evident haste to avoid further parlance on the subject 
the merchant threw on his hat and hurried next door a sigh escaped from ellen's gentle bosom for she saw that there was some profound grief in the depths of her father's soul and anxious to escape from the distressing thoughts which such a conviction was only too well calculated to engender she made the greater speed to dress herself for a visit to her neighbor we must for the present follow mr pomfret whom we shall overtake in mr gamble's back parlor which was fitted up as a library and contained a small but choice collection of books the old bachelor was discussing some cool claret for it was in the midst of a hot summer and the moment the merchant made his appearance he rang for another glass mr pomfret sank upon a seat with the air of a man who was exhausted in mind and body and when the servant had retired he fixed his eyes intently on his friend's countenance as he said in a low and solemn tone gamble i have dreadful news for you for which i am not altogether unprepared returned the old bachelor his countenance being serious if not absolutely severe how what do you mean demanded pomfret the gloomy expression of his features giving way to one of profound astonishment i mean replied mr gamble now bending his gaze with unmistakable sternness on his companion that for a week past i have had forced upon my mind the painful conviction that you were deceiving me deceiving you cried mr pomfret his cheek blanching and his tall spare form trembling either with rage or guilt it was not easy immediately to decide which yes deceiving me and most grossly deceiving me too exclaimed mr gamble striking the table violently with his clenched fist mr pomfret fell back in his chair aghast and speechless like a man from whose countenance the visor of duplicity has been suddenly torn you doubtless desire an explanation resumed mr gamble and you shall have it six months have elapsed sir he continued his tone becoming reproachful rather than angry since i called at your counting-house in the city to receive the amount of a draft which had been forwarded to me from abroad by a gentleman to whom i advanced a certain sum many years ago and which i had given up as lost the sudden and most unexpected recovery of that amount somewhat renewed my confidence in human nature a confidence not altogether destroyed but long dormant in my breast you remember that we began to converse about commercial topics and you finally stated that if i did not immediately require the sum i had called to receive you knew how to lay it out for me in a safe quarter and at good interest i accepted the proposal firstly because the funds were so high at the moment that i did not choose to buy the money in secondly because we were neighbors and had known each other to speak to at least for some years and thirdly because i was in a good humor with mankind at the moment you were pleased on your side and when you wrote to me a few days afterwards to state that the money was invested according to the terms settled between us i resolved to carry my good feelings still farther and i asked you to dinner subsequently you returned the compliment and i began to think that my long-sustained misanthropy was founded in error this belief opened my heart still farther towards you and when i came to know your amiable daughter i felt convinced that all men and women were not deceivers such was the state of my mind 
progressing from a morbid to a healthy condition when you propose certain speculations to me i accepted them to a limited extent and on particular terms i advanced the monies you required to carry out your designs but i adopted the precaution to avoid anything like a partnership and this i did only as a wise precaution for i had tutored myself to place the utmost confidence in you as time wore on you constantly demanded fresh supplies and i did not refuse them so specious were your representations but by degrees i began to entertain vague suspicions that everything was not as you would have me view it and i latterly instituted inquiries a week only has elapsed since i acquired the certainty that the larger portion of the money advanced by me to you was never laid out in the way and for the purposes represented by yourself but that it had been employed to stop up gaps and supply deficiencies in your deeply embarrassed establishment my god this is but too true murmured the miserable pomfret but you will be merciful towards a man who is reduced to despair i shall not harm you sir neither shall i expose you returned mr gamble while the merchant's countenance somewhat brightened up at this assurance perhaps indeed added the old bachelor after a slight pause i may even save you yet save me echoed pomfret oh no this is impossible i am so deeply involved that i owe three times as much as you are likely to possess i am not so sure of that sir returned mr gamble almost in a good-humoured tone then immediately resuming his former seriousness of voice he said it is not so much the loss of my fourteen thousand pounds that i deplore but it is that you have changed my habits and i am not so happy as i was the dealings that i had with men in my earlier years made me mistrust them and taught me to look upon them with unvarying suspicion therefore was it that when i became rich enough to retire into private life and more than rich enough for my purposes i abjured the society of those whom the world had spoilt and sought the society of those who were too young to be tainted by that world i withdrew myself from the hot atmosphere breathed by men and women enjoyed in the freshness of the pure air in which frank merry artless and sportive children dwelt my heart while closing towards one section of the human race expanded towards another and i have loved the infantine race as dearly oh as dearly as if i had been the father of a vast family but when i renewed my intercourse with adults that is to say when i was tempted to join your society and that of the two or three gentlemen and ladies whom i have occasionally met at your house i felt my love for that infantine race diminishing or rather their presence afforded me less delight and amusement it is all this that i deplore and the result has been that my home now seems lonely and the time hangs heavily upon my hands nay more you have been the means of effecting that change in me which has made me selfish and i feel capable even of sacrificing the happiness of another so long as i can in any way minister unto my own i do not understand you said pomfret fearful that these last words implied some vindictive allusion to himself i will explain my meaning replied mr gamble 
you tell me that you are so deeply involved that ruin stares you in the face i am so utterly denuded of resources at this moment answered pomperet that i cannot even pay the quarter's income due to my neighbor and late partner mr mitchell and if you fail that poor paralytic old man will be reduced to beggary said gamble pomfret covered his face with his hands and groaned aloud nay more than all this continued the old bachelor after a long pause during which he appeared to be sipping his claret complacently but was in reality reflecting profoundly more than all this your partners will be utterly ruined and they will curse you as the fatal cause of their dishonor and their penury your daughter too will become a portionless girl and she will moan the follies of her father that reduced her from a state of comparative affluence to a condition of toil for a poor pittance lastly that fine young man leonard mitchell will hate and abhor you as the individual who has made his father's last years wretched and intolerable and deprive the afflicted septuagenarian of the very necessaries of life all these terrible things mr pomfret will be accomplished on the day when your house stops payment i know it alas too well exclaimed the unhappy ruined merchant clasping his hands together in deep agony you are not so old by ten or a dozen years as i am continued mr gamble and yet it does me harm to see you thus reduced to despair but let us not waste precious time what is the amount that will save you from ruin i dare not name it returned pomfret this is foolish exclaimed the old bachelor severely come answer me or else let our interview terminate at once again i demand of you the amount that can prevent all the lamentable occurrences which i just now detailed eighty thousand pounds was the reply delivered almost in a fit of desperation mr gamble rose opened his desk and taking out some bank securities directed the merchant's attention to the sums specified in these documents ninety-five thousand pounds cried pomfret astonished at these evidences of a wealth far greater than he had supposed the old bachelor to be possessed of you perceive observed mr gamble returning the papers to his desk and resuming his seat you perceive that i am the master of means sufficient to save you from destruction indeed i can spare the sum necessary and even then have four hundred pounds a year left to live upon but is it possible that you can even entertain the idea of assisting me to such an extent cried mr pomfret scarcely able to believe his own ears and trembling lest he was indulging in a hope that had no other existence than in a dream it is quite possible sir responded the old bachelor piqued that his word should be questioned even for a moment and now it all depends upon yourself upon myself repeated mr pomfret again surveying his friend with mingled amazement and incredulity yes upon yourself cried mr gamble for the amount you require is at your service provided you consent to accept me as your son-in-law these words were delivered with a solemn seriousness of tone which forbade the suspicion that they were uttered jocularly 
and so completely astounded was the merchant that several minutes elapsed before he could make any reply during that interval mr gamble still appeared to sip his claret with calmness but he was in reality awaiting with no small degree of anxiety the answer that would be given to his proposal but do you love my daughter inquired pomfret at length i have already told you that i begin to feel lonely and cheerless replied mr gamble and moreover i am irresistibly attracted towards miss ellen i may also say that i should feel proud and happy to ensure her an independence at the same time i am not endowed with sufficient philanthropy to induce me to save her father from ruin except on the condition of receiving her as a wife if my suit be refused you are ruined and will it in that case be prudent to permit her to espouse that young mitchell who will likewise be reduced to penury it is clear that if she do not accept my offer circumstances will effectually interpose a barrier between herself and leonard and thus happen what will she must renounce all hope of becoming his bride and with a conviction that she does love leonard mitchell would you accompany her to the altar inquired mr pomfret assuredly replied mr gamble i have set my mind upon it and will risk everything she is young and a first love is seldom more than a blaze of straw ardent while it lasts but speedily exhausted when she comes to know me well and to reflect that i have saved her father from ruin and dishonor when too she perceives all the delicate attentions with which i shall surround her and the constancy of my endeavor to ensure her happiness she will yield to the new influences to which she will be subjected and she will learn to look upon the old man with respect and veneration with gratitude and kindly feelings if not with love the trial may be for the first few weeks severe and there may be deep regrets following upon the disappointment of the vivid hopes now cherished in her bosom but believe me she will at length succumb to the conviction that her happiness has been better consulted by the course chalked out for her by us than by that into which the present state of her affections might impel her pomfret was man of the world enough to know that all this was mere sophistry though gamble himself believed that he was arguing on the truest principles but the merchant was better acquainted than the old bachelor with the female heart nevertheless the temptation was irresistible to the man who hovered upon the verge of ruin the feelings of the father were sacrificed to the anxieties of the merchant who saw destruction staring him in the face and grasping gamble's hand he said in a deep impressive tone she is yours in the meantime ellen pomfret little suspecting how her destinies were being disposed of elsewhere was passing a couple of hours with mr mitchell and leonard the young man had noticed the moment she entered their parlor that her countenance was pale and with the eagle glance of a lover he likewise discovered that she had been weeping burning with impatience to ascertain the cause of her grief and not choosing to elicit an explanation in the presence of his father for fear anything might transpire to give the old gentleman pain 
as he was much attached to the young maiden whom he looked upon as his intended daughter-in-law leonard exclaimed as soon as she had paid her respects to his parent you're just in time ellen to help me to tie up a few new plants which i have purchased and taking her hand he led her into the little garden at the back of the house a very little garden it was too but leonard had made the most of the circumscribed space and he had in reality bought some choice flowers in the morning it was not however to them that he now directed the lovely girl's attention but the moment they stood in the enclosure he took her hand saying ellen dearest you are unhappy this evening pray tell me what has annoyed you miss pomfret who was ingenuousness itself instantly related the scene that had taken place between herself and her father and the tears again started from her eyes as she remembered the harsh almost brutal manner in which he had spoken to her leonard hastened to kiss those diamond drops away from the damask cheeks adown which they trickled and he consoled her by observing that persons in business were liable to those annoyances that occasionally soured the temper and rendered them severe or hasty even to the very beings whom they loved the most leonard's power of persuasion was omnipotent with ellen and she speedily sniffled through her tears and now continued the young man i will give you a piece of intelligence that will i hope indemnify you dearest for the little vexation you have just experienced my father has this day received a letter from an influential friend stating that i may rely upon being nominated to a clerkship in a government office in the course of a month or six weeks ellen expressed her delight at these news and after the interchange of a few tender sentiments the nature of which our readers can well divine the youthful lovers returned to the parlor there they sate and conversed with the old gentleman until the timepiece on the mantel indicated that it was twenty-five minutes past nine when ellen rose and took her departure leonard escorting her to the door of the adjoining house where she dwelt her father had returned about ten minutes previously the curtains were drawn in the parlor the lamp was lighted and the supper was in readiness the moment she entered the room the beautiful girl cast an anxious look towards her sire to gather from his countenance if possible whether his mind had become more composed but she was shocked to perceive that his cheeks were ashy pale and that a strange ominous light gleamed in his restless anxious eyes she withdrew her gaze instantly fearful lest he might observe that she noticed his peculiarity of manner and altered appearance and making some casual remark she turned to lay aside her bonnet and also to conceal the tears that again started into her eyes for ellen was of an affectionate disposition and loved her father tenderly and it touched her heart to the very core to behold the traces of deep deep care upon his countenance you have seen leonard this evening ellen said mr pomfret in a tone so hollow that it startled her and she could scarcely compose herself sufficiently to murmur an affirmative and do you love him very very much asked the merchant after a long pause oh my dearest father she exclaimed you know that i do have we not as it were been brought up together from childhood yes yes it is natural said mr pomfret bitterly 
and he walked to the mantelpiece turning his back towards his daughter to hide the emotions that swelled his heart almost to bursting but ellen caught sight of his agonizing countenance in the mirror and terribly excited she sprang towards him and threw her arms around his neck crying oh my dearest parent some dreadful grief oppresses you may i not share it can i not console you is there anything that i poor weak girl that i am can do to ease of this load of sorrow yes ellen hastily responded her father determined to come at once to an explanation with his daughter for suspense and delay were intolerable you can do all everything for me my honor in your hands tis for you also to decide whether we shall be reduced to penury or remain in affluence whether that poor palsied old man next door shall continue to enjoy the comforts of life or be plunged into destitution in a word ellen my very existence is in your hands for i will not live to witness all the terrible afflictions that my accursed folly will have entailed upon ourselves as well as upon others ellen was so taken by surprise as these alarming revelations burst upon her that she started back in dismay and surveyed her sire with a look of such passionate grief that he himself grew affrighted in his turn and hastily approaching her he led her to a seat saying for god's sake compose yourself ellen you have need of all your firmness now with a frantic gesture she besought him to keep her no longer in suspense but to tell her the worst at once i will not torture you my love said the wretched man standing like a culprit in her presence know then that i hover on the brink of ruin it is not that i think bankruptcy dishonorable no the most upright men are liable to misfortune and cannot control adversity but were i to fail as i am now circumstanced i could not save my name from indelible disgrace nor my partners and the mitchells likewise from ruin speechless with horror and amazement the young girl gazed fixedly on her father as he spoke but there are still means of saving me and the others also he resumed in a tone so broken that it indicated how difficult and how painful it was for him to give utterance to this prelude to an announcement which he knew must prove terrible indeed and those means demanded ellen recovering the use of her own voice for she saw that there was an allusion to herself in her father's words nerve yourself my poor girl to hear something very shocking to your gentle heart said mr pomfret i am nerved now she replied her features assuming the settled aspect of despair but the means she repeated more impatiently that you renounce leonard mitchell and accept mr gamble as your husband said the wretched father speaking with averted head a shriek escaped ellen's lips and she started wildly from her seat then staggering forward a few paces she fell into her parents arms not insensible but sobbing convulsively she had been prepared for some dreadful tidings she was not however nerved to meet such a frightful destiny as that so suddenly offered to her contemplation and she felt as if she must sink under the blow mr pomfret bore her to the sofa and placing himself by her side said all he could do to console her 
no not all he could but all he dared for he had not courage enough to recall the words that had sealed her fate we must however draw a veil over this afflicting scene suffice it to say that the noble-minded girl eventually came to the determination to sacrifice herself for the sake of her father yes and for the sake of the palsied parent of her lover also there is a crisis in misery that is in reality despair although it may have the outward appearance of resignation and this was the condition of the young lady when she said to her father i will not prove a disobedient daughter I therefore consent to renounce Leonard Mitchell and to become the wife of him who demands my hand as the price of the succour which he is willing to afford you in this embarrassment. Mr. Pomfret embraced her with the most unfeigned ardour and thanked her in the most touching terms for her devotedness. And, strange as it may perhaps appear, Ellen besought him that the sacrifice should be accomplished as speedily as possible. This is, however, invariably the case with a noble heart that resolves upon the immolation of its best affections. The maiden feared lest selfish considerations should arise from delay to turn her from her purpose, and she was anxious that her self-martyrdom should be performed heroically and with good grace. But, oh, in one short hour how changed her pure soul, how bitter, how intense, was now the disappointment that succeeded the golden dream she had cherished. How stern and bleak and cheerless seemed that world on which she had lately looked as on a fair and sunny landscape, fragrant with flowers and beautiful with verdure. Yes, gloomy indeed is the earth, and worthless is existence, when viewed through the same mirror which reflects the heart's ruined hopes and blighted affections but who was to break the news to leonard mitchell ellen was not equal to that task indeed she dared not see him she felt that if she were to gaze again upon his handsome countenance if she were to read despair in his eloquent eyes and listen to the passionate accents of his melodious though manly voice appealing to her against the stern resolve to which circumstances had impelled her she felt we say that she should yield, and that by so yielding she should fix her parents' doom. Mr. Pomfret, therefore, took upon himself the mournful task of imparting to the young man the disappointment that awaited him, and this was done the morning after the incidents which we have just described. The merchant threw himself upon Leonard's mercy, invoking him by all he deemed sacred not to seek to see his daughter, nor dissuade her by letter from her holy purpose of self-devotion. At first the impetuosity of youth rendered the lover deaf to all reason and to all entreaties, but by degrees he appeared to receive a kind of chivalrous inspiration from the heroic example of her whom he adored, and he awoke to the necessity of consenting to that dreadful sacrifice, if only that his sire should not want bread in his helpless old age. He, however, begged that Mr. Mitchell might be kept in the dark relative to all these occurrences, until Ellen should become the wife of Mr. Gamble, when it would be too late to recall the sacrifice, and useless to repine against it. Moreover, Leonard resolved to break the news so gradiently to his father that the effect of the blow occasioned by his son's deep disappointment 
might be as much mitigated as possible and to these proposals mr pomfret was only too willing to assent and now as another proof of leonard's devotedness to his afflicted sire must be mentioned the fact that though bearing in his bosom a heart wrung almost to breaking he still maintained a calm exterior and during the week which elapsed ere ellen became the wife of mr gamble mr mitchell beheld nothing strange nor suspicious in his son's manner and at the expiration of that week the sacrifice was consummated the marriage was solemnized by a special license and with great privacy and it was not known in stamford street until a late hour on the wedding day that such an extraordinary alliance had taken place by that time the victim bride was far away from london seated by the side of her old husband in the post-chaise that was bearing them to some country place where they were to pass the honeymoon mr pomfret had received the price stipulated for his daughter and his honour his commercial honour we mean was saved alas how many marriages of this unnatural kind are constantly taking place in this civilized this enlightened this bible reading this moral country how many fair young maidens are purchased by old men's gold the performance of the religious ceremony only adding a hideous mockery to a flagrant injustice and yet how shocked are those mercenary fathers and matchmaking mothers who thus sacrifice their daughters pure affections to the most selfish interests how shocked we say are they when they read that there are countries in the world where men buy their wives outright o ye exeter hall saints who send forth missionaries to christianize the heathen amongst whom such barter or purchase prevails have ye nothing to reform at home is the mussulman who buys his serasian or his georgian wife in a slave market more reprehensible than the tottering old lord or the nabob with his liver eaten away who purchases an english a scotch or an irish beauty in the market of the west end fashion go ye exeter hall saints into that sphere where all is glitter outside and hollowness of heart within and count the many titled or wealthy septuagenaries to whose corpse-like side fresh and blooming girls of nineteen and twenty are bound by marriage ties are such alliances founded upon those holy affections which god has implanted in the human breast or are they proofs of the rebellion which selfish interests consummate against nature's laws and heaven's own divine promptings but if we direct our attention to that sphere wherein the industrious millions struggle with starvation oppression and wrong do we find such instances of outrage against all that is natural moral and just do we discover the agricultural laborer or the mechanic of seventy with a wife of nineteen out of a hundred marriages in humble life there is not more than one such case and yet the aristocratic the wealthy and the great are ever declaiming upon the immortality of the poor immortality indeed tis you ye aristocrats who are in reality demoralized tis you ye oppressors who would stand a far better chance of winning a place in heaven were ye to imitate the humble virtues of the oppressed oh the soul sickens at the idea that a lazy insolent intolerable oligarchy should be permitted to keep so much abuse upon the toiling starving 
deeply wronged millions but to return to the thread of our narrative it was in the evening of the day on which ellen became the wife of mr gamble that mr mitchell was seated at the open window of his front parlor a wire blind enabling him to note all that passed in the street but preventing persons outside from seeing into the room leonard was sitting near him and racking his brain for the best means to commence a conversation to which he might give such a turn as to enable him to break the news of the day to his father but every time the young man prepared to speak his heart's emotions rose as if to suffocate him and at last he was obliged to hurry from the parlor and seek his own chamber in order to give free vent to feelings that could no longer be restrained scarcely had he left the room when two gentlemen dwellers in stamford street encountered each other precisely opposite the mitchell's window and after the usual greetings one said i am just going to call upon our mutual friend mr pomfret to congratulate him congratulate him exclaimed the other upon what event on the marriage of his daughter with the wealthy mr gamble was the reply what you have not heard of it oh it is quite true i can assure you the ceremony took place this morning i have the fact from the clergyman's own lips but i thought that miss pomfret was engaged to leonard mitchell observed the elder gentleman evidently much amazed by the intelligence he had just received hush said the first speaker glancing significantly towards the open window and taking his friend's arm he drew him a few paces farther on but had they stayed to enter into further explanations it would have been all the same the conviction that his unhappy son had sustained a most frightful blow to his happiness burst upon the mind of the wretched father like a tornado on a traveller in the desert and when leonard returned to the room he found the old man a corpse in his chair end of section seventy